All right. Let's uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 5, but I'm going to read to you from the transparency up here. And we're continuing. You know, I didn't mean to, but I started a new series last week. I didn't mean to. I was going to stick with The Apprentice, but it turned out that I started on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been talking for weeks now about being an apprentice of Jesus Christ, having real Christianity, really walking with him, and how can you be an apprentice of his if you don't know what he said? So we're going to talk about some of the toughest sayings of Jesus. So what are we going to be saying over and over? Say what? Let's try it. One, two, three. Say what? I'm going to read you a real say what right now. And I'm going to call this series The Talk on the Hill instead of The Sermon on the Mount. The Beatles gave us the fool on the hill. Jesus gave us the talk on the hill. Amen? All right. Here's what it says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, we talked about this one last week. But I tell you that anyone who is, whatever, buddy, angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which can mean idiot, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, the highest court in the land of that day. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, don't tell me Jesus didn't talk about hell. Well, that went over big. All right, here we go. Now, he says, therefore, if you're bringing an offering to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. This is a verse about priority. And I want you to notice where Jesus put it. And furthermore, he said, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he's going to hand you over to the judge. The judge will hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you'll not get out until you have paid the last penny. Are you ready? One, two, three. That's a hard one to understand, isn't it? We're going to figure it out today. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts. Teach us so that we can be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need this by the time you get home. Well, the reason that we're talking about these things is because God's called us to discipleship. If you say that you're a Christian, then the Bible says... We ought to be following not just Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as our teacher. And I think it's been a great weakness in the church that we have not known Jesus as our teacher in all things that have to do with living, everything that has to do with life. I want you to understand, to grasp fully that Jesus is the greatest teacher that ever lived on planet Earth. Jesus is the greatest philosopher the greatest scientist. There's nothing he did not understand because from him all things came. So we can trust him not just as our Savior, which we're great at presenting to people, but we can trust him as our teacher in all things. And that means relationships as well. 
Jesus was a master psychologist. He was a psychologist before Freud ever thought about it. Jesus understands how you and I are wired. He knows how we are put together. He understands the human psyche because he made it. He understands he understands what troubles us. He understands what we really need in our souls. And so it's interesting that when he begins the talk on the hill, he has gathered his disciples around him. The mass of people, the crowd stayed down at the bottom of the mountain. It was the disciples that came to him at the top of the mountain. And it says Jesus sat down and taught these things to his disciples. Now, how many of you can say today, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, really follow Jesus? Let me see your hands, not half-masked, okay? So when you got saved, here's what God assumed. God assumed you were going to follow his teachings. Jesus didn't talk just to say pretty things. And the first thing he begins with in the talk on the hill to his disciples is the danger of anger. The anger problem with people. Do you know that most people live and die and are never freed from anger? Jesus dealt with the anger issue, and he put it at the top of the list because he knew in in terms of interpersonal relationship with one another, the numero uno problem was going to be anger. We live in an angry world and an angry culture. Our world is on the verge of exploding because of anger and bitterness, and vitriol, and unforgiveness. We saw last time that when it comes to anger, we're not to nurse it or rehearse it. If you rehearse it, you're going to nurse it. If you nurse it, that anger is going to grow, and it's going to turn into contempt. And Jesus said you're not to have contempt for anybody. We're not to give anger a shelf life of over 24 hours. The Bible says let your, don't let the sun go down. Don't let the sun set on your anger, because anger is is not static. It is not stagnant. It moves on. It progresses like a cancer. So the Bible tells us, don't don't give anger longer than a 24-hour shelf life, and then you got to get rid of it. We saw that through Jesus' teaching, his talk on the hill, that God wants us free of anger. He wants us free of anger. I want you to think about that. He wants your heart, no matter what was done to you, what you've experienced, how you've been wronged. No matter what your past holds, Jesus came to set the human heart free from the tyranny of anger. Now, immediately after talking about anger and how it progresses and how it can land you into hell, Jesus gave us a therefore if. Now, anytime you see in the Bible a therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. And I really mean that now. We've got to catch this, the the principle of Bible interpretation. When Jesus says, therefore, here's what therefore means. When you see a therefore, it is a connection. Therefore is is a connect from one thought to another. When Jesus says, therefore, he is taking what he just said And he's about to add something to it. He's going to say, in light of what I've just said about anger, therefore, here is what I want you to learn from it, and here's how I want you to live in light of that truth. 
So he says, therefore, in light of what I just said, I first want you to learn to place top priority on reconciliation. Can everybody give me a, a repeat of that word? Reconciliation. I want you to learn that word, reconciliation. Jesus was a Lord of reconciliation. He said, therefore, therefore, and he gave us examples, two examples on how we are to get rid of anger, and instead of being angry, we are to be peacemakers. So he says, if you bring your gift to the altar, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and make it right with your brother. Now, I want you to stop and imagine this for a minute because Jesus is giving you and me, as his people, as his apprentices, a top priority. Here's what he's saying. Jesus was talking to Jews who had lived their whole lives out obeying the Old Testament command to offer various gifts or offerings in the temple depending on the need. Now, let me give you one example of what one of those needs were. If a leper in the Old Testament who was ostracized from society, a leper, nobody would approach them. They had to ring a bell to let people know they were even drawing near to the crowd. Ring-a-ling-a-ling, here comes the leper. And if you can imagine the pain of the ostracism, the loneliness, the rejection, it must have been horrific. But if a leper in the Old Testament got healed and wanted restoration to God and to society, he was supposed to bring a gift or an offering to the temple. And he would bring first two birds. And he would present these two birds in the temple. He would kill one of them and one of them would live. And he would present these birds to the priests. Now what those birds symbolized in the Old Testament was physical cleansing. The leper had an external cancer that ate away his body. Limbs fall off. And he says here, if he wanted to be restored to society, he would bring these two birds, and that would represent his physical cleansing. Then he would bring two lambs, which represented cleansing from sin. He would bring these two lambs and these two birds, and the priests would receive these gifts at the altar. And after he received these gifts at the altar, when the two gifts were offered, the priests would reinstate the man into society. The priests would officially tell the people, this individual has been cleansed of leprosy. He is free of leprosy, so you can receive him again. And it was a huge moment, a huge day a huge uh, picture of restoration. Yet Jesus placed more importance on reconciliation than he did this man or this woman being reinstated into society. He said, when you bring your gift, if you're giving those two birds, and this is only one example, they brought gifts for many reasons. But if you bring these two birds and these two lambs, and you have been healed of leprosy, and you're about to be reinstated, and you hand the priest these gifts, and there you remember that your brother is mad at you, has something against you, leave the birds and the lambs there. 
and go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now I want you to think about this. There you are with the temple officials, with the priests in front of the altar. You're about to offer gifts that will restore you to normal life. After years of ostracism, and suddenly you remember that Joe or Tim or Bob or Sue or Jane has ought against you. And right then and there, realizing how important it is that their soul be released from the offense. And you are grieved over the breach between the two of you. You leave your offering there this huge, holy, sacred moment, and you go and make it right with your brother. Then you come and you say, now I can do it with a clear conscience. Wow. Matthew Henry wrote, religious spiritual exercises are not acceptable to God if they are performed when we are in wrath Envy, malice, or uncharitableness. God does, that's, we just partook of the Lord's Supper, but the Bible is clear. If you've got something against a brother on the inside or if you've got open sin in your life, don't partake. Get your heart right and then do it. Because folks, what I'm trying to show us as apprentices and disciples of Jesus Christ is that Jesus always dealt with the heart. He was not concerned about action. He knew that if we took care of the heart, you take care of the action. So he said, I want you to take care of your heart. It's a heart thing. This faith we're in is a heart thing. This, this walk that we're in is a heart issue. Out of the heart comes all evil. Out of the heart comes all kinds of wickedness. Out of the heart comes theft and murder and adulteries and fornications and so on and so forth. And Jesus came to fix our fallen heart. And so I'm wanting you to see how he cared about breaches and divisions and schisms and, and problems in interpersonal relationships in the body of Christ. He cared. He cared enough to put top priority on it, even more important than being reinstated into society after being a leper. Jesus taught his followers that rather than feeding anger, we should seek to extinguish anger whenever we possibly can. We're not to be an angry people. We're not to walk in a spirit of anger. And that culture out there is in a spirit of anger. Everybody's mad. Everybody's offended. Everybody's bugged. Everybody's ticked about something. But he says, as for you, my people, I want you to walk in love. I want you to walk in forgiveness. And if you walk in that spirit, you stand out like a star in the sky. Jesus is very clear. I want you delivered of anger. I don't want you sitting underneath. I don't want you carrying offenses. I don't want you burdened down with grudges. I don't want you involved in character assassination of others. I want you to love, and that takes a miracle of God. Now, I want you to understand Jesus was not giving us a law. 
It's a principle. He knew full well that we cannot always be righted with everybody. You know why? Because everybody doesn't want to be righted. Come on, everybody. Everybody doesn't want to be righted. Everybody doesn't want reconciliation. I don't mean to shock you with news you may not know. But you can want reconciliation and you can want a relationship healed, but it takes two to reconcile, just one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile, just one to forgive. And if they won't reconcile, you can still forgive and walk free in your own heart because God doesn't want you to be an angry man or an angry woman. So everybody say with me, I'm a, I am an anger extinguisher. That's exactly right. If you try to reconcile and they don't cooperate, the sin is on them and it's not on you. Disciples of Jesus seek reconciliation and restoration. We want to get anger out of the body of Christ. We want to get bad feelings out of the body of Christ. As much as lies within us, we want to be at peace with all men. This is what true apprentices of Jesus long for. Now the next picture that Jesus paints is of a disciple's heart and that disciple's heart is facing an adversary that is possibly going to sue them, take them to court and sue them. Can you believe Jesus talked about lawsuits? We're in the most litigious culture I've ever seen in my life or ever read about. And yet here we've got our Savior, Jesus, and I told you he's addressed everything that matters in life and living, and he talked about court and he talked about lawsuits. I'm going to put it up here again. Let me just show you. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Everybody say, oh, me. Now say, say what? Well, Christians don't sue one another. Hello, everybody. Yes, they do, because if you're not taught by the word of God, you're going to be taught by somebody. And our culture will teach you if you find something wrong with that McDonald's hamburger, you sue. You just struck gold. If somebody offends you, you sue. Our culture teaches us to go to court, but not Jesus. Now, again, he's dealing with anger and offense. These are the issues. A brother, a sister, somebody has gotten offended at you. They may be lost. They may be saved, but they're offended. And they think it's a legal matter. And Jesus says that a kingdom heart will be kindly minded toward the person and will try to resolve the matter before it comes to trial. That's the kingdom heart. Jesus is intimating that if we are cordial, if we're kind, if we try to help this person, genuinely help them get over their offense. We may draw our adversary into God's kingdom and God's resources. That's what he said. Say with me, I can't believe he said that. But he did. But Jesus said this, if we respond in anger, if we respond in pride or obstinance, we limit the situation to the human legal system that is usually bitter 
And here's the deal. You may not escape it until it has totally drained you. So Jesus said, if you've got somebody who is angry at you, don't be proud, don't be obstinate. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus was not teaching that we should give in to an adversary's demands. He wasn't teaching us to lay down and die, roll over and die, to just let somebody do this, whatever they want. Sometimes the worst thing you can do, you can do is agree with somebody when they're coming against you for a wrong reason. That is not what he's saying. He's not teaching us to be wimps or milk toast. He was teaching us the wisdom of trying to avoid unnecessary grief in a court of law and, if possible, win that person over to the kingdom heart like yours. Above all, Jesus was saying, whatever we do, we ought to do it. Even if we are dragged into court, we ought to do it without the anger and without the bitterness and without the vitriol and without the prideful desire to win. That's flesh. Do you see with me that Jesus doesn't want anger resting in your heart? Jesus doesn't want you to be a bitter person. Jesus doesn't want you to walk around holding a bunch of grudges. The first thing he dealt with in the talk on the hill was for us to deal with the anger issue and get it out. Can I tell you something? If you're an angry person, if you're a really angry person, you're never going to be close to God. You'll be saved, but you're not going to enjoy his fellowship. If you're an angry person, it's only going to get worse. If you're an angry person, you may die alone and old and bitter. If you're an angry person, you're not going to enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And can I give you the good news? Jesus is a master at getting anger out of your heart. He wants you anger-free. That's good news, everybody. Come on. He said, the first thing you need to know in my talk on the hill, disciples of mine, you got to deal with the anger issue. You got to get the anger out. I can't do what I want to do with you and inside of you and through you until you get the anger out. Two illustrations he bothered to give us on how to get the anger out. He placed forgiveness and reconciliation as top priorities in kingdom living. If reconciliation isn't possible, the true apprentice will have tried. And then if they don't do it, the sin's on them. And then you come and instead of bringing two birds and two lambs, please, please don't bring that here. We're, we're in the New Testament. But you come into the house of God to bring your sacrifice of praise. You come into the house of God to bring your offering. You come into the house of God to fellowship. And, and when we worship God, that's a sacrifice. We're offering to him the New Testament offering of worship and adoration. But isn't it right about times like that when the spirit is moving that somebody is brought to our mind and God says, you need to get it right. You need to get it right. I told Kathy, they're not going to be jumping up and shouting on this one, but it's going to change them. Jesus taught on the talk on the hill. He said on the talk on the hill that we've got to forgive others or God's not going to forgive us. He said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Paul chimed in with the same thing. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God has forgiven you. 
Forgiveness is the water we throw on the fire of anger. Forgiveness is the water we throw on the fire of anger. Forgiveness is the water we throw on the fire of anger. Well, Pastor Jeff, if you knew what they did to me, you wouldn't be telling me to forgive them. You'd be telling me where to get a gun. Can I tell you something? Nobody did to you what they did to Jesus. Not anybody. And Jesus from the cross looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And Jesus refused to allow unforgiveness or a grudge to grip his heart because it'll ruin you. It'll contort your face. It'll put lines there God never intended. It'll give you a sour countenance and a negative attitude and a bitter worldview, anger. Forgiveness is the water you throw on the fire of anger. Now I'm going to tell you some quick myths about forgiveness because I know what you're thinking. Here's why people don't follow Jesus. Well, if I follow him and I do what he really said, literally, people are going to walk all over me, take advantage of me, call me a weakling, call me a wimp. I need to be tough and strong and forthright and aggressive like this world is. Well, as usual, Jesus is misunderstood when he talks about forgiveness. He's misunderstood. Now, let me tell you a few myths. Here's myth number one about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a feeling. When I feel like it, I'll forgive them. You know what? That feeling's never going to come. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's an act of the will, and anybody in here can do it. I said anybody in here can do it. Don't wait for the feeling. Make the choice and forgive. Here's myth number two. Forgiveness means you must reenter a relationship that's destructive. Well, if I tell this person I forgive them, then they're going to say, okay, baby, we'll come on back into the relationship. That's false. That's a myth. It may be that you need to forgive in order to be delivered from a destructive relationship. Because until you forgive, you take them with you everywhere you go. And all somebody's got to do is get to know you, and they got to know two. Hello, everybody. I've seen people carry that ex-spouse into a second marriage, and that poor person that stepped into that marriage with the one who never forgave woke up sleeping with two instead of one. And I didn't know I was getting her with you. I didn't know I was getting him with you. I'm sick about hearing about him, sick of hearing about her. You know, in the Bible, sometimes what they would do in Roman times, one of the Roman systems of torture was if you murdered somebody, they would tie the dead corpse to your body and they would not let you undo it. And you had to walk around while that corpse rotted and eventually that rotting corpse rotted you and both of you died. And that's a perfect picture of somebody who doesn't forgive. If you don't forgive, you've got a corpse tied to you. You've got a person tied to you. And you take them with you everywhere you go. And the longer you don't forgive, the more that thing stinketh, the more it rotteth, and the more you rotteth witheth it. Ith. Let them go. I've seen people leave one church, come to another, and that's fine. I've done that. 
But I tell you, leave free. Don't bring that pastor over here. <laughs> Come on, everybody. See, in order for you to be free and get that corpse off of you, all it takes is your decision to let them go by forgiveness. Here's, here's myth number three. Forgiveness is hard. It's not as hard as holding a grudge. Let me tell you what Jesus taught on the talk on the hill. The bitter person ends up in a prison of their own making while the forgiver experiences freedom and joy. So, yeah, forgiveness is hard, especially first saying it. I, oh, Lord, help me. I forgive them. If you want to kill them, go ahead, but I forgive them. <laughs> it's not easy, but holding a grudge is harder on you because it'll sneak up on you and grow. Fourth myth, forgiveness lets the offender off the hook. I'm not going to forgive them. That lets them off the hook. And I'm punishing them by the look. I don't let them off the hook by giving them the look. And the look is transferred in church all the time. It's the look of, uh-huh, I got your number. I know who you really are. You stinking, wretched, rotten, hypocrite. What are you doing in church? And then we start singing, Uh-huh. Can I tell you, if you forgive him, you didn't let him off the hook. You let him off your hook. I'm going to preach a little bit today because this is, this is what sets a church free. This is what sets it free. See, as long as they're on your hook, they're off God's hook. That's why the Bible says, give place to wrath. Let me give you the revised, slanted, wickwire translation. Get out of the way so I can deal with them. And until you forgive them, you're blocking me. That doesn't matter if they're lost or found. God can deal with lost people as much as he can found people. But until you get out of the ring, climb over the ropes, sit in the stands, and let God at them, God's hands are tied. He says, give place to wrath. Get out of the way. So forgiveness doesn't let them off the hook. It lets them off of your hook. And your hook, they don't care about. They're going to go right on down the street dancing and whistling and singing and going and praising God and telling everybody how wonderful they are and how terrible you are. You, your hook doesn't do anything to them, doesn't bother them one bit. Your hook, but God's hook, that's a different hook. You can't get away from God's hook. Now, here's the fifth myth and the last one. Forgiveness should be withheld until they, too, show remorse. If they'll come a little bit my way, I'll come a little bit their way. Here's the problem with that. There are obstinate, stubborn people who are never going to come your way. They're not going to submit to the word of God. They are not going to bow the knee to the scripture. So you can go to them all your life and say, if you would just come my way and agree with me 
and reconcile with me. I'll forgive you. Sometimes you've got to forgive somebody who is impossible. Somebody that you could never forgive apart from the supernatural enabling of God. Because I'm going to say it again, reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness just takes one. You can forgive a devil and be set free in your heart and move on. So if they don't reconcile, you're going to have to go to God and say, all right, Lord, reconciliation didn't work. What do I do now? You forgive them from your heart and you're free and the sin's on them. And then you move on. And then you move on. And it gives you the closure you need. And now they're wide open to the dealings of God. And they may die bitter. They may go on for 20, 30 years bitter. That's not your problem if you try to reconcile. So Jesus, the master teacher, said to his disciples, you got to deal with the anger problem. I don't want you walking around angry. You don't have to. It's torment. To do it, you got to forgive. You can do it. Anybody can do it. If you'll do it, I'm going to move you on with a free heart. And that free heart is going to have joy and peace. I, for a long time, had an issue with my dad. We were separated for almost 30 years. Um, my family was splintered. My dad, and this is not criticizing him, he, he was a good man. I was the little jerk a lot of the time. But he went through four divorces. He had a hard time finding happiness in life, and he finally found great happiness. And he got saved before he went into eternity. But I had an issue with my dad, and, and we were separated very distant for almost 30 years. And one day God said to me, when I was worshiping and offering my sacrifice, do something about that because he's not going to be around forever. Do something about that. Well, at the time, he was robust, big, big old bear of a guy. And I went and I said, Dad, why are we so distant? And I confronted it. And we cried. We got things out. And by the grace of God, we were able to get healed. And we began to meet. And see, because I realized I can't be a disciple and ignore the word. I, you can't do it. And even if the word causes some perplexity and complication, you've got to pray your way through it and figure out how to come to terms with what he said. Because everything Jesus said was for our good and for our blessing. And so we began to meet. And we met, oh, a couple times a month for lunch. We had never done that. He'd lived 20 minutes down the road from me. So we met. And about a year of this went by. And one day, I'll never forget, I walked into La Madeline's where I was meeting him. And he was nervous. And I could tell something was wrong. And I said, Dad, what's the deal? And he said, Jeff, I have been told that I'm terminal. And I said, what? He said, I've been told that I have a, a blood disease, multiple myeloma, and there is no cure. I said, oh, there will be a cure. We'll figure something out. But he began to go down. 
And I'll tell you what, I was never so glad because he was able to bless me before he died. Now, that's what Jesus, now he could have told me to jump in the lake and you know what? I still would have walked away free because I tried. But folks, apprentices and disciples of Jesus have been called to obey him as teacher and not just savior. He's our teacher and he's wise. Can we stand together? And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to people and said, I'm sorry, I repent. Um, you know, I hurt you. I've done it over and over again, over and over again. I'm not trying to walk around some big drama king. I just deal with things, and so I do. And so anytime the Lord says you need to make that right, I try to make it right. And that's the way we ought to all live. So we come into the church of God, folks, with free hearts that can worship God and offer our sacrifice. Amen? Father, we just thank you for the power of forgiveness. We thank you that forgiveness is real. It's genuine. It's powerful. It sets us free. It turns our offenders over to God. It takes the pressure off of us. Now with your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor, I needed this today. I want to be an apprentice. And I need to let some grudges go. Everybody in here has had to let a grudge go. I need to let some grudges go or I need to get this corpse off of me. I don't want to carry this person around anymore. I want to be free. If you can say that today, can you raise your hand right where you are? Raise it good and high. Raise it high. Raise it high. All the way up. I want to do something. The Lord told me this was going to be a powerful moment today. I'm going to ask if you raised your hand. I want you to come down to the front quickly. Would you slip out? and come because something's going to happen in this altar today that is liberating I want you to come in Jesus name you come now we're going to let people go we're going to let we're going to let people go and we're going to get free in Jesus name come on from all over this place <clears throat> we're going to let people go and you know what liberty is going to come to our heart freedom is going to come to our heart you're going to walk out of here skipping Light as a feather because you let them go. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, in this beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to tell you with your heads bowed, they're not worth it. Nobody's worth taking your walk with God. Turn them over to God. Turn them over to God. Thank you, Lord. Holy